and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. This week, we're going to talk about the book Architects of Memory, the reality competition show The Mole, and the Netflix film Gunpowder Milkshake. So I'm not sure why I always get the intros that make me say reality because I can't say that <laughs> word very well. <laughs> It's not it's not an easy word, reality. What if you what if you talk about a reality show about realtors? Oh my gosh. Like that's we did too with hard. selling sunset. Yeah. yeah, that's that's very hard. I try to <laughs> rephrase that entirely. <laughs> <laughs> but you've just read a really good book and I wanna hear more about this. Yeah, I'm actually not finished with it though. <laughs> oh <laughs> Yeah. I meant to finish it, but I got really distracted. But I went up to Geneva on the lake a couple weekends ago, mm-hmm. which was really nice. And I read a lot on the beach there. Mm. It's Lake Erie. So it was just really pleasant. And I got through about half the book and I picked it up in Barnes Noble. I went on a Barnes Noble trip with my friends a few weeks ago because I hadn't seen them in a while. And we all love the bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason that day, I was really focused on sci-fi. So I found this book called Architects of Memory. It's by Karen Osborne, and I believe it is her debut novel. Cool. And the reason I picked it up was, well, first of all, I just have a very methodical way of going through the sci-fi and fantasy sections. I just go through book by book, and if it's something new that looks interesting, I'll take it out and, and read the back. And then I'll skip over books that I've seen before or have or have no interest in. And the back has a has a blurb by K.A. Dorr, author of The Perfect Assassin, and it says a nonstop dystopian space opera adventure that screams F capitalism at the top of its lungs. And that's honestly <laughs> the reason I picked it, this up. <laughs> but also, I go through kind of swings between fantasy and sci-fi, and I just realized I hadn't read a lot of sci-fi in a while. So I wanted to get back into it. And this is about a woman named Ash who works on a salvage ship, spaceship. And she's what's called an indenture because I'm only halfway through. (laughs) I don't know all of the backstory yet, but her story is that she was a miner for Celestium on her homeworld. And she got picked up by this corporation who... I guess, bought her labor, and then she's working to pay off that debt so she can become what's called a full citizen in, I guess, the larger galaxy. And her original world wasn't part of that, is what I'm thinking, but I guess I'll, I'll find that out. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's a little fuzzy right now, but I maybe I'll come back to you with an update <laughs> in a couple weeks. <laughs> like, okay, here's how the world actually works. <laughs> I was wrong before. Anyway, she's on the ship. There are like five other crew members, maybe, and a captain. And they get assigned to salvage the wreckage of the ship called the London. The London has been, I guess, floating there, hovering there, just dead for like a year because there was this battle. And humans are fighting against this alien called the Vi, V-A-I. And when they go into the London... Ash finds a Vi weapon. She's in like this pod and it causes her to lose like 25 minutes of time 
and everyone thinks she's dead, and then she comes back, and it's a very mysterious weapon, so they take it to the planet and try to figure out what it is, but they get attacked by another corporation, and along the way, Ash is also dealing with Celestium sickness, which came from when she was a miner, and she was breathing in the Celestium that they were mining, and it causes her to have hallucinations sometimes. So she's trying to hide this from her employers because if they find out, then they'll take her off this job and she won't be able to earn out her indenture and earn her citizenship. But also she has to wade through like (laughs) having hallucinations while dealing with this very dangerous, very mysterious weapon. So it's, it's pretty fast paced. I think like two days have passed in, in the book world <laughs> oh wow since i started it but it's yeah it's really cool i like i like books about kind of a small crew of people having to get something done in deep space and i like the writing style pretty much so far and i like ash she's kind of prickly at times and sometimes i'm like oh you're really dumb i don't <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know i don't have a ton to say about it yet but I'm enjoying it, and I will say that a lot of times I get really distracted when reading books, so I'll jump from book to book. Mm. But this one, I, I've actually been reading this and only this for oh, wow. a little while. It's just, I'm just slow, <laughs> and I haven't had a lot of reading time. So I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If people are interested in it, there is a second book. It's called the Memory War series, and the second book follows a character that we meet in the first book and I don't think they're I don't think they're connected in the sense that you have to read book one first and then book two. Oh okay. Because it does follow a different protagonist. Okay. And apparently, judging by the synopsis, this weapon that they have found it helps them uncover a conspiracy of corporate intrigue and betrayal that threatens to turn Ash into a li- living weapon. So there's a preview of of what I'm going to (laughs) read. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. That sounds good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I might enjoy that. Yeah. When I finish it, I'll let you know what I thought. Okay. Because it does seem like something up your alley. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But you got really, really into a show (laughs) based on the real world. Yes. (laughs) A reality competition show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, oh man, I just binged this like crazy. (laughs) So I was really kind of in between TV shows. I always like to have like one show that I watch by myself. Yeah. But when stuff gets too good, I want my husband to watch it too. But then (laughs) if we're not available at the same time. So I always want something that I'm just watching myself. Mm -hmm. And I usually make it something that I don't think he'll like. But this, I think he would like. But anyway. (laughs) <laughs> but I was really torn about what I wanted to watch one night, and I just noticed that Netflix had just recently dropped the first two seasons of The Mole on randomly, and this is not a new show, and it's not a show they produced, and it's I just started on a whim, and I was hooked immediately. <laughs> it was so good. So this was on in, oh my goodness, this was on in 2001 to 2008. And there were five seasons, but Netflix only has seasons one and two, which I finished in like a week because <laughs> I was so excited. There are only, what, nine episodes? Season two had like 13, so I really okay. 
went through. Wow, yeah, you flew through that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I was watching a couple a day. So basically the premise, it's very similar to Survivor or The Amazing Race, where people have to do a lot of tasks. They're kind of isolated away from their families and stuff, and it's over the course of several weeks that they're together. But it's got a big twist to it in that one of the people who seems to be a player is not a real player. And their whole <laughs> job is to ruin the game and make people fail. <laughs> and the player's job is to figure out who is the mole who's trying to sabotage everything. Mm -hmm. So in season one, and it's based on a Belgian show called De Mole, which I think is hilarious. But anyway, <laughs> season one was hosted by Anderson Cooper from CNN. And he's he does a great job hosting. He's really... He has a very dry wit about him. <laughs> and this was from 2001. And the other cool thing is they travel. So in season one, they go to the Mojave Desert. They go to Paris and Cannes in France. They go to Monte Carlo in Monaco. And they go to Seville and Yare in Spain. There's 10 players and they're all strangers. And they have to do all these either physical challenges or mental puzzles, or sometimes it's a combination thereof. Usually there's one really physical game in one episode and one more mental or logistical game. Hmm. And usually there's only a subset of the players playing each game. And then when they win a game and they're all, again, supposedly working together, it's collaborative. So if they collectively meet the challenge goal, they get a certain amount of money. But again, the mole is there to try to get the people to win less money or no money while not obviously making it super obvious that they're sabotaging it. Right. And it's really stressful at times, too, honestly. <laughs> and then at the end of every episode, all the players take a quiz about really minute details about the mole, to the point of like, what were they wearing during dinner? What did they... Oh, jeez. Who did they sit next to during the debriefing in the morning? What game did they play? What, how did they do in the game? So you have to decide how you're going to answer those questions. If you have one person in mind and you just answer all the questions accurately to the best of your memory, you could still be wrong and get eliminated at the end of that game. Because the person who gets the most questions wrong at the end or takes the longest to finish the quiz, if there's a tie, is sent home oh, geez. every week. And so in the last episode of the season, you're left with three people and you know that one of them has to be the mole. Yeah. And it's really stressful watching them interact <laughs> at that point because they are the most suspicious trio of people <laughs> in that moment. And they're just like, like just, oh my gosh, the stress is just, you can cut it with a knife. It's really, and that happened in both season one and season two. It's like, oh, they're just like chewing their fingernails off. <laughs> and it's so funny because I was completely wrong in both seasons one oh. and two about who I thought the mole was. Okay. And, you know, they're, they're all real people with real jobs and whatever, but some of them are kind of funny and they're all different ages. There's usually a lot of like people in early college age, like in their very early 20s, up through people in retirement age. And so it's, it's nicely diverse in age. And I think there's pretty much an equal gender representation and ethnicities and but they're all American, so that's the only real common ground. And they do bond and become friends with each other and stuff, but it's very wary because you don't know who's really the mole, and they do have alliances, but then those can get 
really messed up because right. you might be aligning with the mole and ugh. So that was like season one was mostly in Europe. Season two, oh, season two, they go to Switzerland and Italy. And apparently season two was kind of starting to air around September 11th. So there was some sad like delay things. They felt like it was a little too whimsical to be airing at such a stressful time. Mm-hmm. And then season three is the season I'm watching right now. I, I actually... Because I finished season one and season two so quickly and was really, really into it. I bought the DVDs of season three, which is the celebrity, the first celebrity mole. That's amazing. And I'm not very far in that, but it is pretty fun. In season three, the host is Ahmad Rashad, who replaced Anderson Cooper because Anderson Cooper got his big talk show deal at that point. And then there is a season four which is another celebrity edition i cannot find that anywhere oh. and then there's season season five goes back to normal people and i think most of that is on youtube so i may have to do some <laughs> like real real sketchy stuff to watch those last two seasons yeah. but i'm gonna do it so the big rumor that i've been reading is that the reason netflix put these up was that they've got a new show which is either going to just straightforwardly be a reboot of the mole or it's something so similar that it's very related, and it's called The Insider. At least that's the production name of it. Okay. And it sounds like it's basically the same premise, and it's filming right now. So I'm going to watch that. You have some things to look forward to soon. I do, yes. (laughs) I'm kind of bummed out because the celebrity one is only six episodes long, and I've already finished two of them. Oh, geez. So I'm kind of like, ugh, I want to pace this out. Yeah. I maybe will... I was really only looking on a couple of sites to find the DVDs, so it's possible that I can find season four and five on DVD, mm-hmm. but yeah, anyway, or they should just put them up on Netflix. They should just put them up. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us some of the celebrities in the season you're watching now? I'm going to have to remember it because I don't want to look it up because I don't want to accidentally get spoiled. <laughs> so I think it's seven people, and I'm not going to get everybody's name right because there's a couple people I don't know who they are. But Frederic van der Waal, I can't remember if that's her exact name. She's a model, a Victoria's mm-hmm. Secret model, and she's one of the two people I don't really know. And then there's Eric, somebody who was in the Princess Diaries movies and Dinotopia, oh. and I can't remember his last name. <laughs> Everybody else I do know. Corbin Burnson from L.A. Law, Kathy Griffin, the comedian, Michael Boatman, who is currently on The Good Fight, but when he filmed this, he was on Spin City. Uh, Stephen Baldwin of the Baldwin Brothers in various movies. <laughs> and, oh, there's one more. That's okay. I was just curious. Oh, Kim Coles. Kim Coles is the seventh person. She was from Living Signal and in Living Color. Okay. Yeah, and so they have a new host, Ahmad Rashad, and he's also very good. And it's a lot funnier because they're very big personalities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a feeling about who the mole is. I don't know who it is. <laughs> You didn't pick out the first two moles, so. I didn't, so I, yeah. And these are all, like, people who are presumably at least moderately decent at acting. So That's true, yeah. A little bit better. The The cool thing is the people who were the moles in seasons one and two, and I'm not going to obviously say who they were, but they do, like, a, a episode at the very end where they reveal the winner, the runner-up, and the mole. And both of those moles said it was really, really stressful and hard. And oh, okay. they had different strategies for being the mole. and what they did to but you have to lie in your all your interviews and confessionals yeah you obviously the and oh and anderson doesn't know who the mole is either oh so i think in season two he has a 
a suspicion. But season one, he said he did not know and he's not told. And he didn't personally start to figure it out until the last bit of filming. Wow. So, yeah. So you can't. And you're away from your family. You have nobody to confide in about this stressful task you've been set up with. Mm -hmm. And you kind of also want the team to win. You're getting paid by production. But you kind of want the team to win some money. Otherwise, it's going to look really suspicious if you tank all your games. And yeah, the mole from season one was saying, it's not fun if they don't win anything. You know, mm -hmm. I want them to have at least a modicum of hope, even if I'm trying to destroy it. <laughs> and then also like forging alliances and friendships with people that you know you're stabbing in the back. Yeah, that would be hard. Yeah. So it's not like a regular person wins or the mole wins it's just no. how much money the winner gets it's just how much money the winner gets so it's unlike we watch the hustler a little bit mm -hmm. the hustler is very much like the mole but you're just sitting down and not <laughs> doing these crazy things like bungee jumping and skydiving and you know jumping into waterfalls and stuff the the hustler is a lot more like a low-key mole but that the hustler person can win this the mole can't win they are only okay. there as a staffer to cause chaos basically <laughs> okay yeah but you know it's, it's these games are worth lots of money they could be like five thousand dollars to do this task we'll double it if you do it more this harder task might be worth twenty thousand dollars presumably if the players did everything correctly they would win a million dollars but okay that's really really hard to do right yeah yeah i will tell you one game in season one that i thought was we would have had a lot of fun with it. They were in Spain. Almost none of the players spoke Spanish. Okay. And they were in a library. And they were given like a scavenger hunt in the library Ooh. that they had to l find books. And they did not have an electronic card catalog. They only had paper card catalog. And everything was in Spanish. They did have a Spanish-English dictionary. But they had to go to specific books to get tickets to get onto a handsome cab that was waiting for them outside and they had to take the cab from certain map points and it was like a lot of brain but then running and then logistics and yeah yeah it was really fun but then sometimes you're supposed to like do a zip line or ride a bike really far and then after you ride the bike you have to shoot an arrow and hit a target <laughs> so there was one game in season two early in season two that i thought was incredibly stressful and it was that you had to walk on a tightrope oh, across two trees in a forest. You had like, you're on the tightrope and then you're holding on to an upper tightrope. So you're with a carboner on it. So you are a little bit more stable, but you're walking on it kind of sideways. And you have to keep your heart rate below 135. <gasps> oh my Otherwise, gosh. you have to stop and wait until it comes back down. Oh my God. And you have like half an hour to get like six people across this thing. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be really stressful. Some of these tasks, like, I just would not be able to do. But that's one where I felt like I could maybe do that. You weren't really that far off the ground either. So, But the, the thing where your arms are over your head, like, that immediately naturally raises your heart rate. Yeah. And the guy, there, one guy did get, his heart rate kept going up, yet he was perfectly calm and not scared. But with your arms up like that, and it turned out that the mole had picked him to do that task on purpose because he had reported that he was feeling not very well that day after lunch. And so the mole was like, oh, he's probably going to get all, you know, messed up. Wow. Sabotage. Yeah. Yes. So you have to also be really, really observant. 
Mm-hmm. They give you a journal at the beginning of the season. Okay. Yeah, but sometimes some hinky things happen with the journal. Like one of the seasons, they end up having to trade journals with someone else. Oh. So you have read, you'll get to read everything <laughs> that the other person wrote for a couple weeks. And yeah. it's like, oh no. What if they thought you were the mole? <laughs> well, that's, yeah, there was, people found out some nasty stuff that each other thought about each other. Oh, and geez. it was kind of, yeah, it was dramatic. The things I like about it is that it's not it's it's not a lot of arguments. It's not a lot of kind of crazy histrionics and personalities. Okay. It's a very strategic game. So while you get to know the people a little bit, it's not really about that. It's about strategy, playing the game, the mystery element, and the crazy tasks that they're given to do. One group of people had to make 12 pizzas, but they had to make them with ingredients that they got from homes in this little Italian village and they didn't speak <laughs> Italian and then they had to make the pizzas in someone's home. Oh my so gosh. So it was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. But it wasn't something dangerous, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and the other thing is that you can always decline to do something, which that oh. could be because you don't think you can do it, or it could be because you're the mole. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well it sounds like a lot of fun. This aired when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I remember catching some episodes at night sometimes, occasionally. Yeah. So yeah, I might have to... It sounds like a good thing to like kind of wind down with. Yes. Like I'm not going to yes. have to be super invested in the plot, but right. it's it's cool if I'm like cooking dinner or doing something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I hope that you can find seasons four and five. I do too. <laughs> and I hope that Netflix comes out with a mole clone for you soon (laughs) i know i'm so excited (laughs) but we both speaking of netflix we both watched a movie on netflix recently Mm -hmm. called gunpowder milkshake which is an action thriller yes what made you want to watch this i was very excited for this when i saw the trailer a lot of times i end up seeing trailers for movies i did not know existed on twitter like i'm just scrolling through Mm -hmm. and i saw this and i was like that looks amazing. <laughs> and I think it's, I sent it to like three of my friends and was like, look at this movie that's coming out. We've talked a little bit on here before about me really liking action movies now, uh-huh. and especially female-led action movies. So this is really just up my alley because it stars Karen Gillan as the main character, Sam. And then it has Lena Headey as her mom, Carla Gugino, Michelle Yeoh. And Angela Bassett as the librarian slash aunt character. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we'll get into that a little bit. And then the whole plotline revolves around Sam and her mom and, and her friends trying to save a, a young girl played by Chloe Coleman. So yeah, it's just, it's got some cool action sequences and we've talked about the neon aesthetic Mm-hmm. Last week in Fear Street, and it's got that. It's very noiry, and the soundtrack is really cool. It's westerny, but I saw the trailer. Like all of that is in there, and I came away just being like, "Yeah, I've got to watch that movie." <laughs> <laughs> but so, did you did you want to watch it before I told you about it? Or yeah, and I I will say that it's a lot more violent than you think it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, these characters are assassins for like a mysterious organization that's not really named. And so there's a lot of scenes that are very, very 
interestingly choreographed action fight scenes, but it is pretty violent. So just mm. be aware of that. And there were some there were some violent moments that I had to kind of not look away, but I was a little bit like, "Ooh, that's disturbing." So I looked away. <laughs> And even though I, you know, I'm not a big Carla Gugino fan, but her her character was really sweet. I liked her Mm -hmm. a lot. And Karen Gillan from Doctor Who and Guardians of the Galaxy, she's amazing. And she was very good. And Lena Headey from Game of Thrones and Sarah Connor Chronicles. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's amazing. Paul Giamatti is in it, too. He's the head of the, the mysterious firm that they work for. But the the neat thing I thought was really the the librarians they are they are actual librarians but they are also like they sort of keep like an arsenal for the assassins and do like training and stuff and it's clear they sort of raised Sam um, after her mom sort of took off when she was young mm-hmm. and the thing is there's not really a lot of plot it's really just no. Sam trying to protect this girl it's really high concept. Yeah, and they just get into a lot of like fight scenes. There's an elaborate fight that takes place in the hallway of a dentist office, and Sam has been injected with something, and she can't use her arms, so she's mostly just like spinning around in this chair, and like she's got weapons taped to her hands, and kind of just flings out at stuff, and it's just like the choreography is just incredible, and it's also really funny in places too. So it is, yeah. But you're right. It's mostly, it's high concept. It's very aesthetic. Like, it's just really beautifully shot and framed and everything. The music really goes well with the moments. There's a really elaborate fight scene near the end that's um, set to a version of It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, which is a Bob Dylan song. And it's like really almost melancholy, but then really pretty and then also gross. And I don't know. It's just very... It's it is kind of like Kill Bill in a way. I will say it's people have compared it to those movies, and I can see that. I sort of almost like this better in some ways because it's it's not it's violent, but it's not gruesome. And the Kill Bill movies can there's moments in those that are like really kind of gross in a way that's excessive. Okay, I've never actually seen those movies, so. Oh, okay. They yeah. This feels more like a ballet at points when they're fighting. So. Ooh. Yeah. And I, it's very, very clearly influenced by martial arts. And Michelle Yeoh is a martial artist. So that really makes sense. But yeah, I had wanted to see it. And when I saw it, I was like, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. And it exactly. did all the stuff it needed to. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. It, it promises to be exactly what it is. Yes. And it doesn't promise that it's going to give you like... <laughs> a complicated plot and like um, no i mean and i thought all the characters were cool but they're not like super in-depth it's just no like we're gonna give you a good time we're gonna give you some bright neon aesthetics and we're gonna mm-hmm. give you some cool fight scenes and that's exactly yeah. what you get and you know what it also reminded me of atomic blonde okay which is very maybe a little bit darker a little more a little more plot but similar aesthetic lots of cool fight scenes it's only one lady instead of a bunch, but she gets to really beat people up a lot and <laughs> is effective at it. So, you know, I think this, you're right that I think there is maybe a, those two films and maybe John Wick films can be in this kind of uh, noir action subgenre. And yeah, it was just really fun. Yeah, for sure. I want to watch it again, but also I'm giving it a little bit of time for me. I don't know if this is true for you. 
But sometimes if I know a movie is going to be really violent and gory, I just have to prepare myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Same. Karen Gillan is really good at doing American accent, I will say. She's gotten she's gotten better at it and she always was okay at it, but this she was perfect. And it was dumb though, because her mom is British and uses her real accent, so it's like she could have used her real accent. I don't know. But Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Maybe it was to show that uh, Scarlett abandoned her when she was younger and she yeah. kind of grew out of everything her mom gave her. Except for being an assassin, of course. Yeah. I will say Lena Headey is only 14 years older than Karen Gillan, so that casting was a little head-scratchy, but whatever. I guess yes. one was playing young and one was playing old, so they just figured it met in the middle somewhere. But yeah, they're more like aunt and niece or even yeah. big sister. So Yeah, that's true. Uh, oh, the thing I was going to say was I really am a sucker for stories where like hardened, violent people have to suddenly take care of a kid and oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like oh we're gonna adopt you now and <laughs> they've got to figure that out i think yeah. that's a that's a fun trope and then i really like that it had a relatively happy ending mm-hmm. it's not completely happy but they figure out their problem mm-hmm. and there's a very sweet final scene and I think right now, well, for the last like year and a half, especially, (laughs) I just really appreciate being able to watch something that has a happy ending and doesn't, even though it puts the characters through bad things, you always sort of come out the other side, the better for it and relatively at peace. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I've been really into stories that reward you with that happy ending. Yeah. And even though... Yeah, that shouldn't be regarded as a spoiler. There's still a lot that happens that you get through, but maybe it's good to to let people know that all the stuff that they go through is worth it. And that, yes. yeah, I agree. Yep. I said relatively happy. So yes, relatively. there are things that happen that I did not like, but... <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into details. Yeah. No, but it's very, very cool. Yep. If you like action movies, this is definitely something you'll want to check out. Uh, if you don't like action movies, you probably won't like this. So Yeah, it's kind of, you have to really go into it wanting to see an action movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's no escape from the action. <laughs> but we're going to shift gears a little bit next week. Not completely, but mostly. Next week, we're talking about the movie Ophelia, the TV series The Americans, and Tignataro's new comedy special, Drawn. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. You can also find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And please, if you're enjoying our podcast, rate us and review us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.